Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. What is the ideal size of a state? Well, we'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. Purchase a class or 20 there. Also, use the coupon code JACKSON in August of 2023. Get $70 off my newest class, Reading Andrew Jackson. You're going to want it. It's going to give you a great key to unlocking the history of the United States and the American presidency. You can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on the support tab. You can go to uh, Spotify for podcasters. You can become a member there. You can also click on the super thanks button. If you're watching on YouTube, under the video, the little heart, you can support the show that way. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so people know you love it. Give that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Comment on YouTube for the algorithm and send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. All right, well, let's talk about this uh, issue of small is beautiful. Now, I've talked about this topic on the show before. What is the size, the ideal size of a state? And I'm highly influenced in that by a man named Kirkpatrick Sale. Now, Sale's been around for a long time in uh, punditry, you might want to say, but he's written books since the 1970s on American politics. And uh, I would consider Sale a, a, a colleague. He, we've spoken a number of events, of events together, and he wrote an essay for a really good book, uh, Rethinking the American Union. It's actually mentioned in this essay, and it talks about the ideal size of a state. What is it? I mean, how large should it be? What size population? What size territory? And this actually goes back to something I talked about last week with the issue of the United States and Rome. The reason the United States is starting to implode, right, it's coming apart from the inside out, is because it's gotten too big. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more on this, uh, on this show this week with the reason that so many conservatives are starting to look to the culture wars rather than some of the other issues that had defined conservatism for a long time. There's a reason for that. It's a symptom of the disease, and the disease is a government that's too large. And so when you think about the ideal size of a state and where you can have the most response, right, where people can have the most impact, it's generally a much smaller political entity. It's generally a much smaller economic entity. There are things that go into this. There is a human scale, as Kirkpatrick Sale likes to call it. There's a human scale of things. Something that's too big is unmanageable. It grows, it's out of proportion. We don't like disproportionate things. One of the things he used to often mention about this would be cathedrals and large-scale government buildings. Why are they so big? Well, because they want to make you feel small. It's not just about putting you know, a whole lot of space there and 
you got to have all these offices and everything else. The idea is to make you feel small. Now, with a cathedral, a cathedral has a purpose. It's to make you feel small in the might of God. That's the whole point. And it's to show the majesty, right? The bigger, the better. The majesty of God. But a government building, there's no God in government. Yet, we often are meant to feel small in these capital buildings, in these grand public spaces. The Romans did this quite often. They also had very small, intimate temples that were that were put up to worship emperors, right? <laughs> they actually worshipped their political leaders as gods. And we do that today without really knowing it. Uh, we, we worship these people. Uh, we have a secular religion of government. The Romans had the same thing. So when we think about the ideal size of states and governments and economies and these kind of things, there is a limit. There is a limit to what humans can comprehend. It's even with things like money. If I was to tell you something's $1,000, people have a conception of that, $1,000. Most people in America think, wow, $1,000, that's a lot of money. But if I say a trillion dollars, there's no conception of a trillion dollars. People don't even know how much that is. It's just a number. A billion, you can kind of conceptualize. But a trillion, no way. You can't even think about how much money a trillion dollars is. It's outside of your conception of size. So the government can spend trillions of dollars. Trillions of dollars. And they do. And they take in trillions of dollars in taxes. They can do that, or they take in close to a trillion. They can do that. I say, I, I misspoke there. They take in close to a trillion, but they spend over a trillion. They do that because nobody really comprehends the size of a trillion dollars. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't even compute, right? It, it's, it's something outside of their capacity to understand. A thousand, yes. A hundred thousand, well, that's a million those are things, wow, that's a lot. A billion? Whoa. I mean, we have lotteries now that are a billion dollars. But a trillion? It's, a, it's something that nobody can really understand. And so this is why we just kind of throw these numbers around. A trillion dollars here, a trillion. It doesn't matter. It's all funny to us. Same thing with the size of government. How can, a, how can an entity that's as large as the United States be governed by essentially less than 600 people? But that's what we want. We want 600 people to govern 320 million. It doesn't make any sense. Or even when you look at the size of the territory, it doesn't make sense. So you have to create this vast bureaucracy, which is this other, this fifth column of government that will disrupt everything. That's the whole point. Or when you look at the Baron de Montesquieu, he said, well, if you have this large territory, you can't use one centralized power unless it's going to be despotic. Unless it's going to be extreme centralization, or a monarchy, like in Russia with the Tsar, you might be able to do it there, but even that fell apart. So you have to have, you have to diffuse power so that you can actually do things properly. And so, again, it came down to scale. The founding generation talked a lot about scale. We've missed all this. We want to centralize everything. And of course... That creates all kinds of problems. So let's get into this piece by Kirk Sale. It was actually at lewrockwell.com. And it's titled, Looking at this nation's mess, small is more beautiful than ever. Again, this is think locally, act locally. All the things that I say, I mean, this is not stuff that um, that uh, is just coming out of thin air. There's other people that say the exact same things. I've been saying them a lot longer than I have. But uh, this, is a, this is a really good piece. 
He says, there is one and only one conclusion that I should think everyone alive during the last few years of shutdowns and vaccinations and election chicanery and a sham and crooked presidency and a ridiculous election season and unprecedented government intrusions would come to is this. So all this stuff, there's only one thing that people, if they're looking and being honest about all the things we've gone to, right? So you've got shutdowns, vaccinations, election chicanery, and a sham and crooked presidency. I mean, we know it is. A ridiculous election season, it always is. He says, this is the conclusion you should come to. The government we have in this country is too incompetent, inept, corrupt, wasteful, and inefficient, too centralized, undemocratic, unjust, and invasive, and too unresponsive to the needs of individual citizens and small communities, and all because it is too big. Simple as that. But that's not the conclusion most people are going to come to. They want to go to the center. And they want to say, well, if we control the center, we'll make it better. The problem is, all these things are never going to go away. This is what, this is what the Roman Empire figured out. All that stuff, the corruption's never going to go away. It's there now. It's ingrained in the system. You're not going to clean it up. There's no Grover Cleveland to ride in in the late 19th century and help try to clean it up. And even Cleveland couldn't do it. There's no Andrew Jackson to talk about corruption in 1829 and clean it up. Jackson couldn't do it. right? The corruption is baked in. It was Hamilton's design. This is that debate with Adams and Jefferson and Hamilton. Adams says the British government's the best in the world. If you get rid of the corruption, Hamilton says, no, no, no. The corruption is what makes it great because it was, it's what make everybody, makes everybody support it. It's baked into the system. And there was a, actually a headline I saw last week on, uh, on this particular issue. And what I'm, what I'm going to say here is that it's something I talked about with Rome. Americans are having corruption fatigue. They don't care. They're ambivalent. It doesn't matter. We don't care if these people are corrupt. We don't care if these people have all kinds of problems. We don't care because it's about power. The corruption doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. People don't care. They look the other way. It's just commonplace. This has been going on for a long time. You go back to the 1990s. All the scandals with the Clinton administration, all of that, didn't matter. Clinton won twice. Because people don't care. They don't care as long as their guy wins. If it's their guy against the other guy, right? You got two people. So in this case, let's say it's Trump against Biden. Biden, well, people know he's corrupt. People know that the the Biden family is corrupt. They've been in politics too long not to be. They're sleazy. They're shady. He's incompetent. It doesn't matter because he has the D behind his name. Trump, you got all the indictments, everything else, whether all that's true. I mean, look, that's a whole other issue. It doesn't matter whether it's true or not. Even if it was true, which some of the charges made against him are, I mean, ridiculous. But even if it was true, Republicans would still support him if he had the nomination because it's their guy against Biden. You see? It doesn't matter. The corruption doesn't matter anymore because it's about power. Because we've centralized everything so much that it has to come down. Our guy has to win to control the center. Because we forget about all the 50 states and all the 50 state governments and all the local governments and town governments and city governments and and county governments. We forget about all of that. We lose our minds for the presidency. All you see is Ron DeSantis, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Mike Pence, RFK Jr., that's all you're seeing. 
You're seeing this because everyone has a laser beam focus on the presidency. It's executive government. It really is the issue in America that's undermining American elections. It's undermining American politics. And of course, all this focus on the center makes us turn away from the real issue, which is, as Kirkpatrick Sale says, America's too big. But I don't think that people are going to get that. They're not going to get it yet. There needs to be more emphasis on decentralization, nullification, federalism, secession, all of the things. People need to talk about this more forcefully because that's the only way you start thinking about, well, maybe we could actually control what we do at the state and local level better. Now, it doesn't mean it's always going to work that way. We just saw uh, last week uh, uh, the trial in Portland where the, the city let all the Antifa thugs off the hook. Uh, and so, I mean, that, I'm sure that will be appealed and something will happen. But if the cities and the states can't protect citizens, well, then you need to get out. That, I mean, there, is, there are always exceptions to this rule where, you know, if you're a certain cities and states break down and you don't have any protection there. And this is what people say, well, this is why we need centralization. It's why we need centralization. But in reality, what you need is something else, which is get out of those areas. Don't go to Portland. Get out of Portland. Let the people that destroy Portland destroy it and keep them there. So Sale continues, the reason that more of us don't come to, to it is that as a nation, we have long been fixated on the value of bigness, size, super this, and colossal that, immensity, bulk, quantity, greatness, Big Macs, Whoppers, Green Giant, Big Box Stores, King Size Mattresses, Global Trade, Mass Production, McMansions, High Rises, Double Wives, and the smallest olive size is Jumbo. We're just not trained to see things in terms of scale, proportion, adequacy, appropriateness. As a nation, we killed nearly a million of our own people to reinforce the value of oneness and largeness and to punish the idea of division and separation or separateness. Yeah, I mean, so we've come to this thing, big, grand, we're big this, we like it, mean, everything's bigger. Everything's bigger in America. I'll never forget I had a, an exchange student Germany from Germany said he was surprised about how big America was. It was huge to him. It was, it was enormous. Germany... Lot, a lot of people, but a small territory. But he looked at the United States as enormous. It was just all this space. It was amazing to him. He couldn't get over it. But the simple fact is that a nation of more than 300 million people, covering nearly 4 million square miles from ocean to ocean and beyond, cannot be governed by any system, by, an age, by any agency, despotic or democratic. And certainly not by a system where 535 people are supposed to legislate for all. One for 58,000 people, and it takes 4,430,000 to administer to them at the federal level. That is beyond human capability, beyond even angelic ability. So we're in a real mess, he's saying. I just mentioned this, right? We can't do it. This is the Baron de Montesquieu. It's, it's impossible to do this. Impossible. He's saying 535, but when you throw in the presidency and you throw in the Supreme Court, you know, you're under 600. You throw in some of these things. But then you have this huge bureaucracy. And that is the fifth column. The lawmakers don't really have much control over that anymore. That's the real government in America. That's the shadow government. 
the deep state is the fifth column. It's the, it's the it's the bureaucracy. That's the real government. That's what does everything. He says the truth stares us in the face every day, and yet we never admit it, never enunciate it. Why then would be a confession that the nation is a failure? The American experiment at large-scale republicanism is at an end. We've got to step back and do something very, very different. As a nation, even one in such deep political, economic, financial, and cultural trouble, we don't seem to be able to face that. I agree. I mean, this is the issue. We can't really see because we have this this love affair, this infatuation with the center, with America and the U.S. flag and the empire and being the biggest and the best and at everything. But this was Rome's problem, too. This is why Rome failed. I mean, Rome was Rome, and it began to implode, and nobody could really see it. They couldn't stop it. They tried to put Band-Aids on everything. Because Rome mattered more. The name Rome mattered more than anything else. And I think you're going to see that with the U.S. The U.S., the flag, it matters more than anything else. Because we've been programmed to this. It's, it's in our DNA now for most people in America. They just, this is what they think. It's more important for that. It's why they say the pledge. It's why this to show your loyalty. You say the pledge. Conservatives do this, not understanding that what they're doing by saying the pledge is actually, <laughs> it's actually, um, you know, pledging to the socialists. It's ridiculous. He says, and yet it is only admitting the nation that nation is too big to work that we stand a chance of ever getting out of the deep mess we've created. This is the first step toward thinking about the alternative. It's not elections, of course, for that doesn't change anything, which is true. Certainly not size. It's not amendments of the Constitution, the document that inevitably got us to where we are today. That only tries to reform a system that has grown so far beyond the founders' conception. They had a nation of just under 4 million people. That it bears scant relation to the original. It's not any sort of rejiggering or reorganizing or reworking or even revolution. It's devolution, dissolution, secession, separatism. It's making everything smaller. Now, there is, when you talk about secession and these things, there is a, a middle part, and this is what nullification tries to do. There is a middle part. It's, it's, it's the idea that federal, real federalism with teeth would solve the problem. And we've started to see some of this. It's not necessarily separation, but real federalism. The, the, the Dobbs decision has forced a lot of people to rethink what states can do. Ron DeSantis has been on record saying, well, this is really a state issue now. And we've seen states react in both ways. And what has happened? The only people who are talking about Dobbs anymore, in many ways, are conservatives. Because now they're saying, well, we need some type of federal legislation for this issue. Federal legislation, which, of course, would be unjust centralization. Even DeSantis is saying that. Now, we can't have a federal law on this. This is about the states. Well, there are people that won't, won't accept that. That you might have a state like California that would be different from a state like Alabama. That is the key to peace. This issue is then can be taken off the table entirely at the federal level. We don't have to talk about it anymore at all. The states can then deal with the issue the way they want. 
and it can reflect the political culture of those states, and that's it. No more issue. It's amazing when that happens. Now, maybe at your, in your own state, maybe you're not happy with your laws, so you try to work to reform them. I had somebody email me the other day, leaving is not an option. Well, if it's not an option for you, you can't move. Okay, I get there are people that want to be tied to an area, though America has always been a very transient moving place, right? It always has been. But let's say your family is tied to that area. I get it. You've been there for generations. You want to stay. Well, then you really have to work within your own system to try to reform it. And you may not win. I mean, that's the other realization that people have to have. They may not win. You might lose a bunch. You may not win. And you almost have to accept it at that point. So, uh, I mean, but this is the point. You see these issues, whether it's, uh, you know, gun issues or drugs or whatever else you want to take from it. These are issues that have been now forced into the state level and where they should be. And then you start dealing with them there. And you can see how these things work. Devolution would be that, right? I mean, you're basically talking about federalism. He says, here is an important overlooked fact. Not only is there a size and scale at which things work, but we can discover it by looking at history and looking at the world around us. The human animal and the human brain are finite, capable of functioning properly only at a certain limited scale. I am tempted to suggest that humans evolved for perhaps 2 million years in societies of very small sizes, perhaps no larger than 500 people, and there are probably very good reasons for that. But it doesn't seem entirely realistic to seek to reorganize the country into small communities, however evolutionary sound that would be. So we have to think of some other ways of approaching optimal sizes. He says one would be historical. The storied Greek city-states were generally around 50,000 people. Plato suggested the ideal would be 5,040 citizens or perhaps 35 to 40,000 people. And Athens, for much of its time, was at that size, growing to a limit of about 150,000, only at its height of power. The cities that invented and fostered universities in the 12th century were under 50,000 people. Bologna at perhaps 35,000, Paris at 50,000, Oxford and Cambridge under 20,000. The cities of medieval Italy that created the Renaissance were usually around 50,000 people. Florence, maybe 40,000. Venice, slightly more. Rome, around 55,000. So these are the sizes, right? Now, Rome had actually swelled to a million people at one point during the empire. And of course, it falls apart. It falls apart. But since we can't imagine nations today that small, we might try to figure out, figure out what would be the appropriate size of a modern nation state. That's somewhat harder to derive, but there's one place to start, he says, and that's with information of, on states that collapse from oversize. That collapse from oversize. Well, it might be an empire that collapses from oversize, like Rome. You see, there are things that get too big. The Spanish Empire collapsed really from oversize. The British Empire collapsed, though Britain was maintained, sort of, from oversize. So we know these things happen. Why do we keep repeating it? Federalism was supposed to be the way forward because it wouldn't force the United States to collapse. Toynbee showed years ago that states that grow into empires inevitably collapse as a result of the growing numbers of problems as a state grows bigger. 
and that forcible political unification in a centralized state, when in fact it might seem to be at its height, is last stage before collapse. As governments grow, regardless of their systems of command, their bureaucracies and armies grow. And to justify this expansion, they almost always choose warfare. As Lewis Mumford put it, they squander human vitality and economic wealth on the acts of war. And that requires enemies, real or in many times fabricated. Warfare, in turn, requires increased taxes or deficit borrowing to pay for it all, resulting almost always in great disparity between rich and poor. And measures necessary to keep that disparity from reversing. That produces a polity that, though increasingly authoritarian in time, becomes fragile and eventually both politically and economically unstable, hence Toynbee's Law. That describes Rome. It also describes what's happening in the United States. Americans are moving toward authoritarianism on both sides of the, of the political spectrum. Why? Because they see the center as the only way forward. They want to own the other side. When in reality, all this could be done. People could be happier if they simply just looked at the small and the local and the state. Even the states could be considered to be too big at times, right? I mean, you've got disproportionate representation in California. It's way out of whack. Way out. California is in many ways too big to be one state. You probably need two there, maybe three. Same thing perhaps with Texas, though Texas... The people in Texas aren't going to like to hear that. I mean, you got—I know I got a lot of people listening to the show that are Texas people, but you've got some real problems in Texas. If Texas was independent, how do you control those other areas? I mean, it's maybe Texas needs to be two states or three states. Uh, so we've we've got this issue in many states across the United States. Maybe they're too big as well. When the 30,000 to 1 representative ratio was proposed at the Philadelphia Convention, actually it was 40,000 to 1 at first, George Washington said that's too big for Republican government. But it was okay. It was okay in some ways for what they had to do, which was very basic things, commerce and defense. They didn't have, and this is how it was sold. We didn't have to know what was going on in the port of Boston or in the inner city of Charleston. We didn't have to know that. Because these people didn't have to legislate on any of that stuff. They just had to worry about what Spain and France and Great Britain were doing and ensure that our trade policies were fine between the states, interstate commerce, and also with foreign nations. That's it. That's what they had to worry about. Everything else, everything else was left to the states. But that's not how we legislate now. That's the problem. That's the disease, and I'll talk about that tomorrow. He says, It is not possible to come up with a population figure for the point at which such a collapse happens, because this stage is different with different ages, technologies, geographical reaches, and political conditions. It's only possible to determine where a contemporary nation is on this trajectory, and it takes no imagination to see where the United States stands. The wonder is that it has not succumbed sooner. He says, to get an idea of what would be a successful national size, here I think we might look at contemporary nations for a guide. My study of nation-states a few years ago in Rethinking the American Union, edited by Donald Livingston, found that half the nations of the world are smaller than 5.5 million people. 18 of the top 20 most prosperous, ranked by GDP, are under 5 million. The majority of free estates in the measure put out by Freedom House are under 5 million and 37% under 1 million. 
and a Sustainable Society Index ranked only small states in the top 10. Sweden, with 9.3 million, led the list. Interestingly, a look at the geographic sizes of successful nations confirms the point. As many as 85 of the 223 political entities counted by the United Nations are under 10,000 square miles. That's the size of Vermont. And three-quarters of the richest nations are smaller than the world median. 17 of them are smaller than Vermont. <laughs> now, of course, Sweden on the list is interesting, these Scandinavian states. What are they doing now with immigration and other things? They're destroying themselves. And some of the, this is why you're starting to see governments in Europe move to the right, because they're starting to realize this, and they want this stuff to stop. They're destroying themselves. The, I mean, what they had done was to keep a fairly homogenous, culturally homogenous place, and that allowed them to do the things that they wanted to do in these states. But when you add in people that don't think like that or from out of the area, wherever it is, then you start to change these things. This is the difference between, say, Rome and the United States and a small state like Sweden or Denmark or the, these areas like that. I mean, the, the issue is the United States has, it is multinational. And so the only way to deal with that is federalism. That's it. You can't have centralization in that type of system. My conclusion from all this, and believe me, it's not because I once lived in the Palmetto State, was that the optimum size of successful states was in the range of 3 to 5 million people, about the size of South Carolina, and no bigger than 35,000 square miles, about the size of South Carolina. So there, so there we have some guidelines for the kinds of nations that seem to work well, in contrast to the besotted behemoth we have around us today. It's not all that complicated, really. Pass a certain population, pass a certain size, control and efficient government become more difficult. Through representation, much less any semblance of democracy becomes impossible. And cost of administration, transportation, distri distribution, and communication become unsustainable. Leopold Kor, the great economist, put it, in this, put it this way. Quote, Social problems have the unfortunate tendency to grow at a geometric ratio while the ability of man to cope with them, if he can be expected at all, grows only at an, at an arithmetic, arith, arithmetic ratio, which means that if society grows beyond its optimum size, its problems must eventually outrun the growth of those human faculties which are necessary for dealing with them. So I repeat, devolution, dissolution, secession. Let's not let historical bugaboos confuse us. Let's start thinking about it seriously. This is think locally, act locally. Again, I think that the, the first step will be to accept, Americans have to accept the original premise of the Union, which was federalism. It wouldn't be there without it. Then you can start looking beyond that if the general government keeps abusing power. But the first step really is to try to simply take the power back from the center. And that requires people to be active at the state and local level to do it. It also requires the states to not be tied into the cash. There's so many things that have to happen here, but it all begins really with education. And if you're listening to this show, well, then you become more educated on this issue. And I hope that that will help you navigate this very, in many ways, strange political world that we're in now. All right. See you tomorrow on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.